Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots as well as free returns and exchanges and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome to the fire. Welcome to the fire, boys. My name is Parker McDonald. And I'm Walter Lee, and we'll be your hosts on this episode of the Southern Collective Hunting Podcast. If you're a new hunter trying to learn the basics, or you're a veteran woodsman just trying to get through your workday, there's always a place at our campfire for you. Speaking of the fire, we would love it if you guys would join our growing Patreon community and be a part of the best and only digital deer camp south of Mason Dixon Line. Come on. If you'd like and learn more, click on the link in the show notes. But for now, Walt, welcome, welcome to, to the fire. fire. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Southern Collective Hunting Podcast. I'm joined by Walter Lee. In Tallahassee, Florida, Matt Reeves in, I don't even we'll know what just, part of, we're gonna keep there's that, like three uh, towns right there, I don't even know which one you live in. We're just going to leave it at classified, that. Highly classified. <laughs> Alabama, and Brett is in Alabama, and I am in Alabama, and uh, man, you know, you you would think a bunch of boys from Alabama would be really picking at the guy that got beat his team got beat by Alabama but I'm gonna be honest with you Walt made me feel pretty bad about it <laughs> like <laughs> he lives in freaking breeze this stuff man like it you could tell it hurt like there was there was legitimate pain and I was so confused 
about it because Walt got to kill a buck that day. And to me, buck killing days are like the best days of my, of my life. Mm-hmm. I freaking love buck kill days. Turkey kill days are the same way. And Walt's sitting over there just like in physical pain about <laughs> this freaking football game on a buck kill day. You're just lucky I killed a deer. It probably would have been a lot worse. Oh, <laughs> yeah, I can't imagine. Yeah. I can't imagine. Yeah. Uh if people haven't haven't listened to the the episode from uh from last week, I guess it was last week's episode, um, where we recapped that trip. That was a a heck of a good time. And boys, it did not slow down. It just kept rolling. Just freaking kept rolling. And I am, uh, I'm pumped to talk about what we got to talk about tonight, which what we're really doing is we're catching up because I mean, this momentum just kept going and we didn't know which deer to talk about and which deer to, to let wait. And so now we're, we're going to actually go back in time today and we're going to talk about, uh, Brett's buck from Alabama and Matt's buck from Alabama as well. Um, we got we got some cool stuff to talk about today, and particularly we're going to talk about calling tactics within uh, within each each one of those hunts, and I'm excited about that. But before we do that, Walt, I'm going to throw this thing off to you. Tell us some new new patron members that we've got uh, over on Patreon this week. Let's give them a shout. Yeah, out. man, we added some some guys from all over the deep south. Uh, we got two shout outs here. We got Mr. Philip Berry out of Louisiana and Evan Brown, Evan Brown. Uh, I don't think a day goes by that. He doesn't reach out to us and, and share something funny or positive or here recently, he shot a great deer and didn't recover it until a little bit later, kind of a Brett Mashburn, uh, 2.0, uh, and uh, those are huge deer. So glad to see those guys join. Um, just want to remind everybody that if you sign up for Patreon, there's free merchant in it for you guys. We had a whole nother batch of hats go out this week. Um, and uh, you get a couple benefits when you do that. You get a shout out on the podcast, but um, you also get entered into all of our gi- giveaways. And so we're doing something really cool. We're going to start doing quarterly giveaways routine with Kanadi and Zinger. Uh, we, we really kind of buried this in that last episode. I think Deer Camp just had us like so, uh, so amped. Um, but what we're doing is we're giving away two dozen Kanadi arrows and five 12 packs of the Zinger Fletchings uh, to Patreon members. So, uh, Parker, I imagine we're not going to give all of that to one guy. Um, so we're looking at seven different chances to win every quarter, which is just like, dude, the guys over there, Brian, um, what's Brian's brother's name? I can't remember. Steve. Um, Brian and Steve are yep, just Steve and really taking care of us uh, in that regard. Um, quality components, quality arrows, and we're glad to have them on for quarterly giveaways. And so the other thing I want to talk about is we're going to do something we haven't done before. Um, we hear all the time from people that I want to join, but you know, I'm, I'm curious if this is the right fit. I think there's a trepidation there. Whenever you spend your hard earned trepidation, yeah. Forrester work. Explain for 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 no, Forrester work. <laughs> that's punchy. <laughs> that's, too pun- that's too punchy for a Forrester. Uh, Come trepidation on now. is a a hesitancy, an anxious hesitancy, right? Mm. Um, like mm-hmm. when you jump off the deep end of the pool for the first time, you you're tre- you have trepidations, right? Um, 
were sitting downwind of me in the deer stand. Uh, that's always dangerous as well. So, <laughs> but we hear all the time that people are like, well, I joined, but I don't know if there's any guys from Louisiana. I joined, but, and I think what happens is whenever you spend your hard earned money, it's hard. You want to make sure you're getting what you need to. And so I'm going to offer two things. If you ever join Patreon and you're not happy, reach out to me. We'll cancel your membership, give you your money back. So there's a money back guarantee that you're going to enjoy it. Okay. Um, the second thing I want to offer is we're going to do a discount. We've never done this before. We're only going to run this through 1231. This is going to go live the same time that this episode drops. And from now through midnight at 1231, we're going to do a discount. We're going to give you three months at half off for the $10 tier. So jump on there. If you want to get in, you can get in for $5. Again, if you don't like it, shoot me a message. I'll cancel your membership, send your money back. No problem. Um, but we're going to run a two week Christmas special, jump on, sign up for the tier. It'll be really easy. The link will be in the show notes. There'll be a big, like grab you, make it obvious, uh, registration link. And for the first three months, it's going to be half off. And then after that, we hope you guys stick around and, uh, you, you've seen the benefit by the time Turkey season rolls around. And, uh, I just want to, I want to get people in there. I don't want people to miss out Parker. The, that group is just yeah. too amazing. It's too much fun, man. And like, uh, like this, this past week, just being able to, um, like share the moments like today, today's a great example. Like I went on a solo hunt by myself is really the first hunt that I've been on in Alabama that I didn't have somebody with me and, uh, having the, the, the backwoods buck buddies there to, <laughs> to have a good time in the woods. Um, <laughs> oh man backwoods buck buddies dot yeah it is, it a, is thing, a thing and you should go check yeah. it out uh buy a shirt but yeah dude i mean like having all those guys like hey dude congrats man that's mm-hmm. awesome dude wish we were there to to hang out you know like just the the it's a deer camp digital deer it camp. is that's what it is it is um i was telling my dad the other day uh when we were talking about it because i was like showing him all the people when he he shot his buck uh which i guess we could say that too dad shot a buck literally the day after we recorded last week um so that was pretty cool so then i was you know showing all the guys saying congrats and all that stuff and he's like man that's that's really cool that's a really cool deal i said yeah it's kind of like it's kind of like online dating for hunting buddies (laughs) and and then backwoods buck buddies was born and uh and that's what it but but it really is like your hunting buddies you don't even have to a lot of them i've never even met in person and i feel like they're my best bud you know what i mean um it's cool man i think what people are going to figure out uh is that it is well worth the money sometimes i feel like we should charge more money for this because this is this is good you know what i mean and we're not going to not not right now but it's uh it really is a, a cool community, and and I'm happy to be a part of it. Um, so, dude, I I, I think uh, I think through this next uh, this this Black Friday sale, I think people are gonna really find them see the value in it. I really do. I, I just think I think it's one of those that once you're in it, you realize just how engaged and positive everybody is. I mean, Missouri for Brett was a roller coaster. He had a blood tracker. He had a, a group of, of, of cheerleaders rooting him on every step of the way. I mean, the guy, I mean, he had a support system behind him that I wish I had had at 
<laughs> well, that is at eight fifty five. Yeah, I'm gonna come back and cut that at out. Eight fifty five. You said the name of the W May. I'm gonna cut that out. Jabo's gonna have a, 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 a conniption on that one because no, you got to leave it in, just like bleep it out. You got to leave in the rest of. It. I'll, I'll make it. A, I'll make it a burnt because it'll be on topic with today's uh, <laughs> uh, topic. But uh, yeah, I just it, it's one of those things where I wish I'd had that support system. There are so many times where I've been in tough scenarios. Um, and I just don't want people to miss out because there's just too much there. Absolutely. Um, hey, we, we got to mention Tethered, too, before we yep. go too much further. Uh, really appreciate what, what those guys do for not only SoCo, but just the things for me personally. You know, like I spent my whole fall over there with those guys hanging out and doing Tethered stuff. And uh, I just really appreciate that group of people, Greg, Ernie, Carl, all those guys. Um, for, I mean, they, 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 here, here's one thing that I've, I've said about them from the beginning, whether it's chasing tails, uh, Southern ground, uh, any of the brands that we've been a part of, um, what they saw and what they supported was, uh, that they, they always saw the potential of what they, what they thought we could do. Um, and I appreciate that in people. And so I say all that to say, it's not only a company of, that sells great gear, right? We all know that it's top of the line, the best you can, the best you can find in my opinion. And not only are they that, but they are also extremely personable. It's a, it's a personable company. They care about the individuals, not just the people that are buying their mm-hmm. stuff. Um, so I've always really appreciated that. I think that's important for people who listen to this to know, because it, when I spend my money, I want to spend my money with good people. You know what I mean? And that it's it's some top of the top of the line people, but today we're going to talk about some top of the line stories, some hunting stories. We got to catch up because we got a bunch of bucks that have died that we haven't got to talk about yet. Um, now, before I start, before I start with one of you guys, kind of kind of beginning your story, who who killed first? I killed on the twenty fourth. Twenty fourth. Were you? That was before you, Brett. Uh, yes, it would have been the, uh, the week before. Was, yeah, you killed like Monday or Tuesday, yeah. I think. Yeah, I killed on a Monday and a Friday. And what uh, day was your That was on a Friday. Twenty fourth on Friday. Okay, cool. All right, Matt. So, so we haven't got to talk about any of this. I want you to just start out with. Um, not too in depth of a description, but the type of habitat, the type of country that you're hunting. Yeah, here in so Alabama. it's uh it's hill country first off. Um, a lot of monotonous stuff, a lot of big open woods that you can really get lost in really quick. And in this place, a lot of people do that. You know, uh, a big bottom looks very attractive to hunt. Um, so the the area that I was hunting, I found it hmm, two years ago. And uh, started kind of building a database from it. Went in there, found some hot sign, ended up throwing up a camera. Um, had some bucks, ended up killing two deer uh, in there that season. That was the season of 21, I believe, yeah. And uh, had some luck there. Thought, you know, had a gym. Was really excited about it. Was really excited about it for the next year. Thought I had a place that I could, you know, one of those places you go back year after year and it produces deer. 
well, threw a camera up in there. It's like, hey, I'm going to put a cell camera in there so I know, you know, exactly when these deer are moving. Um, that did not pan out for me last year. Um, the spot that I had the Matt, I remember that. I remember that really well, actually, because I remember yeah, like, how down you were about it. Because you're like, I've I've got a great thing here. I know it's going to be great. I know it is great. And then all of a sudden, it's just like, blah. But it kind of also felt like that was just yeah, it, the year. that was the year. <laughs> you know what I mean? And it was just to the go year. back on the, you know, we're kind of keying in on calling stuff. Um, that first year I was in there, I didn't do I didn't do much calling. The deer were just there. It was what it was, but the second buck I killed, he actually came in and snort wheezed, and I'd never heard a buck in Alabama snort wheeze, so that kind of put into my head that, hey, these deer are very vocal, because the day before I killed him, I heard a bunch of grunting in the thicket that I was near, and I grunted a couple times. Um, now I know why the deer didn't come at me through learning how to call from Brett this past weekend, but... um that let me know these deer were kind of vocal in this area. They were doing what deer are supposed to do. So last year, total bust. Well, if y'all didn't know, I am a forester. So I know some things about <laughs> forestry. And uh, I know I noticed there was uh, some trees painted. Um, and sometimes when a harvest is performed, uh, the timber buyer will come in and mark the trees. So I knew at some point, there was going to be a harvest in there. So ended up doing some research, found some stuff out. Well, they ended up started starting cutting it. And I don't know if y'all have ever had like a jam up a timber spot be cut. You know, that's kind of like takes the air out of you, right? You're like, dang it, this was beautiful. Now it looks like a dang hurricane went through here. And I kind of like it for deer, yeah. to be honest with you. It kind of gets me excited but the turkey part of me is a little bit stronger, in my opinion, of of that. And I'm like, <laughs> right, no. right. you know what I mean? So it's kind of. And, and, you know, in the back of my head, I was like, hey, this may make it better. And that's what you're, uh, you know, kind of referring to. But part of me just want to be like, oh, it's going to be open. People are going to be all over this place, which people were all over the place this year. Um but anyways, I uh, didn't go put a camera in there. Just kind of was like, hey, if I get a wild hair, I know the week, two weeks to be in there. And so I ended up going in there uh, on a Sunday morning and sat. I ended up seeing 12 deer. The first deer I saw was a nice eight point. He came out and worked a scrape. I played with my camera too much and he got a little too far. <laughs> and I stopped him. He's about 150 yards. And I just punched trigger you know got got excited clean miss but i i ended up seeing all the other deer after it so i knew it was a hot area um so got it yeah hey matt yeah. i got a question for you within within the area right i i know you're not talking about a particular spot in general it's an area um were you seeing some things lining up with deer movement based more on terrain like it was before it was all cut or did it, did the cut change? Yeah. Does yeah. It, you know what I'm saying? Did it change the, the area that you were able to, to concentrate an extent? On? And I'm not going to go too in depth to it because it could, you know, possibly give it away. But, um, the area of was cut and 
you know, there's there's tops everywhere. There, it's just terrible to walk in. No fun, but there's exposed ground. So those deer were really keying into those areas that had more exposed ground due to vegetation, curiosity, all that stuff. I mean, if you've seen a clear cut, you've seen old whips like little hardwood trees whipped over. There were scrapes under under those trees. Just just very huh. very interesting, but. It did move the deer movement from where I had killed two years prior. Um, so I was hunting in a different section of that area uh, due to that because I knew I could see a long ways, which I do not like hunting cutovers or any type of sage field because you can see a long ways. I don't like it. I, I It just does something with me mentally to where I feel like I'm not being able to watch everything. Like I want to be able to hear a deer walking to me you know um but anyways i toted in all my stuff the next the next friday went in there got in there early got in there in the dark and i was sitting there and the doe was out in front of me and i hear and i mean it was like like i thought the dude was in the tree with me so i'm like well that was good, man. That like really yeah. translated well over the it microphone. It really did. Sounded uh, we can pretty realistic. I might snap that. Do it again. Do that. I want to. Did y'all hear that gunshot? <laughs> <laughs> Must have been Brett. Forrester. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I hear this gunshot and I'm like, well, well, that's great, you know. But in my mind, I'm like, these deer are rutting. Like, this isn't going to phase them. I've shot in here before and seen deer after the shot. I'm just going to stick it out. Well, I'm sitting there and about 30 minutes later, I look up and I see the guy up on the ridge above me, uh, got down, was walking out. I don't know if he's walking to the deer or whatnot, but I'm sitting there and I'm, you you do get a little discouraged whether you want to admit it or not. So I was planning to sit, I'd packed food. I was, I was ready to go. Well, on the ridge behind me, my buddy Andrew, y'all may hear Andrew a good bit. He hunts with me a, a lot, helps me a ton with getting deer out. We help each other. I help him get deer out and whatnot. But uh, he was hunting another block, and his plan was to go up on this ridge. Well, it ended up being a mountain. He ended up going back and just climbed a tree in a random spot. And he wouldn't see any deer. I'd already thought he ain't going to see any deer. You know, like he got gar hold or something. So he hits a can call, and uh, I'm not going to try to impersonate that. But once he hits his... Nope, you got to. You have to, I insist. <laughs> Hold on, let me see if I... <laughs> Anyways, <laughs> depends on how you shake it, you know, what the what the full sound yeah, does. You know, so, such hey, as somebody life. messaged, uh, commented <laughs> on a YouTube um, video we had. Uh, I guess it was my Kentucky video of him of me doing that. He was like, man, if you blow into the bottom of it, it's more consistent. And he was right. I've, I've, really? yeah, I've been blowing in the bottom of it and it's, it's awesome. <laughs> Parker quit. <laughs> You're I didn't do giggling. I'm just, ha- I'm just uh, happy to but, be here, man. But he, anyways, um, so Andrew does this, um, can call <laughs> that I, I wasn't aware of. And, uh, Three does come by him, so he sees three does come by him, and then a nice eight point, and then a big ten point comes running by him. Well, he gets ready, and he shoots one, miss, shoots again, miss, and it just did a Hail Mary miss, okay? So I'm sitting there in my stand, 
and I hear one shot, I'm like, okay, Andrew, kill one. I hear two shots. I said, oh, no, <laughs> that's not good. Then he shot a third time, and I said, dang it, that's really that's really not good. Um, that deer's still running. So I'm texting him, was that you? And uh, he um, calls me, and he goes, a giant is headed your way. And I don't know if y'all have ever had somebody like call you and tell you a deer's coming your way. They typically don't come your way. Um, but, uh, Never. I told him, I said, well, let me get off the phone if he's, if he's coming. So I get off the phone and I stand up and I hear him coming off the ridge and he's, he's grunting. He's being very vocal like previous years. So I'm like, okay, it's pretty awesome. So they keep going up there and they're running around chasing whatever. And he's grunting, grunting, grunting. Well, they're, they're too high up on the ridge for me to, to see him. Um, I'm looking through a bunch of thick stuff and I can't see him really good. So I, Andrew used a can call and those does came to him. So I said, I'm, you know, I'm going to use a can call. So I've got my gun, I'm propped up waiting. So I just turned back behind me and hit my can call real quick and, uh, hit it twice. And so they just stopped for a little bit. He quit grunting. Um, they were just kind of standing up there for a little bit. Well, they start moving a little bit more. Well, they start easing their way down towards me. Well, I get my grunt call and I hit my grunt just to imitate, you know, that, hey, a buck's coming to challenge you, you know, with these does, he's got them pinned up and did that. Well, luckily those does pushed closer to me to about 120 yards and they walked through two openings and here he came. And I, I had not seen the antlers on his head yet. And, uh, I just saw his body. He had like a orange orangish reddish body it was re- looked like he still had a summer coat on it was really cool um and i could see the top of his head was real red so i knew it was a mature deer um because his body size so he goes to come out of the opening and a lot of times i messed up and tried to stop the deer when he gets in the opening like and usually he stops right behind a tree when you do that at the end but uh i i did my old man you know right before he came in the opening and he stopped perfectly broadside. So I, I shot and I'm, I'm a bow hunter and I, I like to bow hunt because I can see where my arrow hits the deer and I can hear the deer fall or run off, whatever with a gun, man, I'm clueless. And after missing the week prior, I had zero confidence. I think I text John. I said, pray. I, I hit him, you know, yeah, praise pray, dead or something. Yeah. Praise down. Praise down. And so I'm beating myself up. Oh, I just, you know, we just missed a giant buck four times. How are we going to tell anybody um, about this? Um, but anyways, I I thought I heard the does bound off a little bit and get out of there. And I'm getting my stuff ready. Well, the other buck ends up running the ridge above me. Um, I get down. I walk over there. Uh, Andrew comes and meets me. And uh, I'm walking. I'm at the shot site. There is no blood and this is in open pretty woods right here i mean you should be finding blood on the leaves nothing so i'm looking i look up and i'm like is that a is that a white belly and ended up being a rock but uh, i just panned a little to my left and there he was he he ran 30 yards fell over went up grabbed him it's my best alabama buck um big 10 point um chocolate horn just a really really nice deer for where i'm hunting and so we ended up getting him out, but, um, I don't know it to say, you know, he was, 
chasing does, he could have easily just ran the other way. And this whole, and the whole time, here's the funny part: that hunter was standing on the other ridge, like he was at his stand. Like I'm pretty sure he saw it really? all go on. Yeah, because when I got down, he was 120 yards to my left, standing there watching me walk through the cutover. So he got to hear me scream like a little girl when i found the deer and uh <laughs> ended up never running into him he we ended up accessing in two different spots so no uh no fault to him on that really he just kind of you know jay hooked around me and whatnot but i don't know that that area and the vocalization for alabama um was was really neat because honestly i i, I can say with confidence i don't if i wouldn't have called i don't think those deer would have moseyed my way um and with the way with the way andrew and i were set up that that very well could have made those does think that 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 bleat was a little bit further that they had to keep chasing it so they kind of came a little closer and then the aggressive grunting which i don't do now because of the situations but he was far away from me and uh, it just kind of brought him a little bit closer so i was able to uh capitalize on that so that was that was a very very fun hunt a very fun story um i've started editing the video man i can't wait to to share that with everybody that's gonna be a fun one so talking about that this this uh is more of a like you see the deer and you're trying to manipulate what the deer does because you know that deer is there um which is different than Texas trophy hunters, Larry Wysoon that we've mm-hmm. all seen where he's going in and the cactus flats and just blind calling and yeah. bucks come running to talk him. about bucket list. Totally different. Like I just want to do that so badly one yeah. day. It, it sounds like a blast. Yeah. Yeah, it really does. Uh, so, but, but this is a little bit different, Matt, you've, you've, you're, you're talking about a situation where you saw the deer, you knew the deer was there you also knew that those deer were doing a lot of ruddy stuff and they were, I guess the word could be vulnerable mm-hmm. to the call to, to any type of calling because they're not thinking straight. They're doing stupid things. Mm-hmm. They're, they're literally living those, but those bucks are living their lives based on what those does do. And, and so I think that that, that's interesting. What, what, what was your, what was your grunt like? Um, in I did that one time? long, like a, a long grunt and then I did two short ones af- after that. Just kind of wanted him to know I was there, really. You know, not trying to call up the whole herd, but just needed his attention, you know. Because if if those does would have left him in any way, I wanted I wanted him to come, at least come check me out. Because I knew there were a lot of bucks in the area. You know, I knew it wasn't just just him. And when yeah. you when you know that there's a lot of deer in the area, a lot of bucks, particular. I think you you can't really hurt yourself by by grunting. Yeah, dude. How, I mean, I think. How, how, ahead, how does doe population in your mind factor into that? Right, because you could have a, a concentration of bucks, but like here in Florida, you'll sit there and see ten, fifteen does. You know, ambling around. Do you feel like it's not only having a concentration of bucks, but like? In addition, there has to be some degree of competition there. Yeah, competition is the main is the main thing there because those deer. I mean, two years ago when I put a camera up, there were eight different bucks that hit this mock scrape in a week's period. Like they're there. Um, I saw ten does the 
the previous hunt, the in years past, I hadn't seen 10 deer in that spot. So the features in that area were, were drawing all those deer there. So, I mean, and I, I'm pretty sure I know some other bucks that got killed in that area previous to when I went in there. But, um, yeah, competition is number one. I mean, even though there were more does, I still think it's half and half on the buck to doe ratio in there. Gotcha. I think competition, competition, but also curiosity when it comes to calling. Um, and that, I think that's both deer and turkeys. You ever had a gobbler that you could literally just step on a stick and they gobble and they come to you because they just can't help it. They're just, there's, there is some curiosity I think that's in there. You know, uh, you ever had the bucks that come in? Yeah, and Brett, you probably experienced this too, especially kind of in the thick, the really thick cutover type stuff. Um, when you climb up a tree and make a lot of racket, some bucks just get curious, dude. Like they just want to know what that is. And if you're smart about how you do it, I think you can climb up into a tree and, and, and be, and make noises, but it's like the metal on metal noises. That's really the things that, that are going to kill you. Um, but you're, but you're breaking branches and the tree bark and stuff, man. I mean, I killed that Missouri buck this year. Just because of that, I believe he literally just heard me climbing a tree. Um, and so I think when you're talking about calling, you are obviously in a rut, a rut scenario, right? Like, like we talked about, they were doing crazy stuff and, and not thinking super clearly, but whenever it comes to like early season, are you, or, or, or maybe not early season, but just outside of the rut, Matt, you specifically, are you like a, do you call much I, a, at all? A little bit. Um, and it just depends on the area I'm hunting. Say, sight is the biggest thing for me, how far a deer can see. Um, whether he's going to be able to stand at 100 yards and see if somebody's over there grunting at him. It, and, you know, it's kind of like the same thing with the turkey hunting. You know, hide the hen, you know, hide, hide the doe or hide the mm-hmm. buck, whatever you're um, doing. But um, I've put it into my um kind of arsenal a little more this year um I, I did some calling the other day and had some results from it uh they weren't great just because the deer ended up getting downwind of me i mean that's that's what they do that's that's how a whitetail works um but i've always been a fan of the can call you know that's just that's just a simple e- easy thing to do called a bunch of does in with it and whatnot and um but it's interesting I- I don't, I don't, I haven't made a doe sound, I don't think, in probably over really? 10 years in the woods. Yeah, I don't ever, I don't ever utilize any type of doe noises. You do, Matt, do any of the other guys? I do. Do y'all do bleats All the or time. anything? I do yeah. sometimes. Yep. <clears throat> I call in more does, though, with the bleat than I do with bucks. Um, I don't know that I've ever actually had a buck show up. After I've I've done a bleak call. But the funny thing is, I can't remember the last buck I killed that I didn't call and have him come in afterwards. Now, granted, I'm not the yeah. big buck killers that you guys, I don't kill near as many deer as you guys do. But I have literally straight, this deer right here, my first one, I called him in. The, the biggest one that's sitting on the wall, every deer I killed uh, in the 2020 season, nope, that was the only one. The second deer. 
that I killed in that 2020 season. That's the only one that I haven't called in. Um, I, I'm a huge, I'm a huge fan of, of grunting. I mean, I just, uh, it, to me, it's, <clears throat> if you've ever gone to uh, like the zoo and I think this is really cool. If you have a zoo nearby and it has like a native exhibit, I'm totally sidetracking you guys. I'm sorry, but go there and listen to those deer. Just like sit there and listen. They're talking to each other all the time. You just, as a human have to be so close to hear it, um, which is kind of what Brett was talking about. And I think we should at some point give him the floor to talk about, you know, his, his calling strategy when, when we move to his deer, but like you, same thing for turkeys, go and listen how they talk. They're just talking to each other all the time. We just don't hear it because we don't have the hearing they do. I, I'll be honest with you. It's been a minute since I've seen a buck chasing a doe that wasn't mm-hmm. grunting. They're almost always grunting. And I think Matt, what you talked about, being close, like wanting to hear the deer. I think a lot of gun hunters kind of miss out on maybe like those grunts are so soft. You really have to be in bow range to be able to hear them. You know, like I had one this morning, the buck that I missed this morning, he was grunting like crazy. Um, But when he got right underneath me, I mean, it was the softest. Yeah. Like it was super, it just wasn't crazy loud. And so if you're, if you're hunting a greenfield with a 200 yard shot, you know, in a shooting mm-hmm. house where you got all that enclosure, dude, I, I never used to hear deer vocalize whenever I, that'd be hard like and, that. I mean, it was, and it was with, with this deer, I mean, when I first heard him, he was at 150 yards, you know, I mean, but with the way where he was, it was coming down off a hill down, down to me. So you could hear, you know, that's going to yep. amplify that sound every time. But it's like you said, you, you've got to be pretty close to really hear them, hear them good or be in the perfect situation. But it, it proves your point that they do vocalize. Well, mm-hmm. um, uh, in, in fact, in North Dakota this year, um, the buck that I missed in North Dakota in September, this is wild. I don't know if I've talked about it on our podcast. I maybe shared it on the uh, live from the fire from that what, the night that I missed. Um, but he came in full velvet, still with his red coat on, with a doe, chasing behind her with her his like all of his attention on her, grunting at her. I mean, it was the freaking wildest thing. Mm-hmm. Like up until probably today, that was about the the most rut action that I've seen all season was in September in North Dakota. Um, because I think we kind of maybe pigeonhole deer calling into only the rut. And I just don't think that that's necessarily true. Greg Godfrey has good success calling in deer, rattling in deer, like in that September timeframe when they're just getting their mm-hmm. hard horns. Because those younger bucks will start sparring, like, oh, look what we got. We can freaking bang these things together. And it really does work. I mean, I've, I've, I've seen him do it. He's told me plenty of stories about it happening. Grunting, um, same thing. I just don't do it much in early season. I don't do it much outside of probably pre-rut. I would say, like, for, for here in Alabama, from Thanksgiving until Christmas, I'll grunt a lot. Like in in the place where I hunt, when so like kind of that month of the rut, I guess I'll grunt a lot. Same thing, you know, probably like late October to uh, or mid October to mid November in a typical rut state, I might start grunting. I just don't do a lot in the in the early season or really in the late season. 
Um, I think that's cool, Matt. I think there's windows where they're really susceptible to it. And it, and it kind of sounds intuitive if you think about it, because <clears throat> as soon as they lose their velvet, we know that they're ready to breed. The testosterone level is there, right? As soon as you lose your velvet and you're ready to breed, what's the first thing you're going to do? You're probably going to establish a pecking order. That's when we start seeing a lot of rubs. It's when I think in September for me, uh, you know, make, make September, whatever month it is that your season starts. Right. Um, I see a lot of <clears throat> smaller scrapes pop up about that same time period. And so if we know they're ready to breathe, they're starting to create those little territorial situations. Early season calling just kind of makes sense. I don't know that there's like, I think there's like tiny windows where it's just up your odds because in Southeast Georgia in September, yeah. I called in several bucks, just Bert, 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 kind of like what uh, Brett did on that hunt. And later in the year, I didn't have that same success. And it just kind of makes sense that it would kind of be, windows yeah for sure well matt dude congrats on your buck that's a that's a heck of a cool i appreciate it i was uh i was pumped for you and 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 thus another prophecy fulfilled like i'm just trying to figure out how how to get like can y'all okay. prophesy over Mr. me? Ta- Mr. Tagged <laughs> out. <laughs> oh, well. You kill the velvet drop time now. You just can't really. <laughs> yeah. It's a big buck. Hey, I- That's cool. I'm, I'm happy for you, dude. I'm happy that the prophecies um, were Before fulfilled. we jump to Brett, I did kill another buck, It, but I, I didn't do any calling tactics to, <laughs> to kill him. <laughs> Well, I, look, I, I probably did do a calling tactic. I listened to uh, videos on TikTok and Facebook, and I ended up killing another buck. <laughs> Matt, you killed me. So that was... Uh, you got, got one, one tag left. left, man. Saving it for old, old uh, private got, land deer. I, I got, th- I got three y'all. Uh, I'll burn it on. So... And that that one of those hunts is this coming weekend, and he, the buck I'm after showed up last or this morning. So, yeah, is it a gun hunt? Yep, yep. I'm gonna have Ooh. all my. I'm gonna have like four different calls in my hand ready to go. And uh, <laughs> Brett, Brett's about to take me to school right here and give me some good pointers on on how I'm gonna tackle it. How you gonna call them up? All right, Brett. So moving on, Matt. Matt. Killed every deer in the woods uh, in North Alabama, and then Brett uh, kind of started his his little tear, little week long double uh, on the home front with a brand sinking new bow, and yeah. it was awesome. That thing is sweet. Yeah, oh, you see mine? I got mine sitting right there behind me. Hey, I got stabilizers I go. in today. Did anybody get stabilizers in today? Yeah, yeah, I got. Well, no, I got them a long time ago. Oh, you did? Yeah, I got them when I got everything else. I gave Brett his, I think. It was. It yeah. should have been with all that stuff. It was. Yeah. Dude, so first off, I think, Brett, I, I want to know, before we get into the hunt, like, that's a sweet bow, dude. <laughs> like, tell me about setting it up and, and I guess in place of an actual Bowtech ad, We'll just freaking sing the praises because I know you you've kind of fancy this bow pretty good. Yeah, so I'm really big bow hunter. Uh, this year was my first year actually killing a buck with a gun since probably 2016. 
pretty much bow hunt only. But and it was still fun as crap, my, wasn't it? It's fun as heck to shoot them with a gun. Yeah, I love shooting absolutely. With a gun. <laughs> In bow range, that, that. heck that, yeah, that's gonna be a, that's going into a reel right there, Brett. Good job. <laughs> <laughs> but but I I have all my own bow equipment where I can work on my own stuff like bow press, draw board. All that good stuff because I'm real tedious with things I want them to be the way I want them to be. So I want to be able to work on my own stuff and got this new Bowtech Core SS in and it has a feature called Deadlock. And they also have it for the timing as well now. Where basically all you need is a drawboard or a hook that you can hang up and you can actually hold the riser and pull down. And I basically, I bought this little torpedo level with a laser in it. And I made me a dial for the other end with a line. And I laid this um, laser on the cams to set the cams. And you literally take an Allen wrench and adjust it to its level. That way at full draw, your cams are facing each other. You know, that's your starting point. It took just an Allen wrench and then you just... Turned a, a lock on it, which is another Allen. Locks it in place. And you can pull it down with your hands and you can check the timing. Then you let off and just adjust it with an Allen wrench. It's just that simple. It's literally like no press needed. Yeah. And there's no press needed to change the draw length. They also have a comfort and a performance mode on it, which you do not need to press. You could just take the Allen bolts out and just flip it over to whichever one you prefer. Um, you really don't need a bow press at all. I mean, maybe to get a peep side in the string. Yeah. But that would be about it. Do you, now, did you have your side in yet? Or did you have another sight on the bow? Yes. I it, Yeah, I got a sight when I got the bow. Okay, I thought so. At the same time. So talk about, talk about that. Like, when I was setting all my stuff together... Um, with that, that new feature where it just like goes right through the middle of the riser that site yeah, does center, center mass cent- technology, center mass. And then you've yeah. got the tight spot quiver, which like sits like right up next to it. Yeah. It's, it's just like, it's just such a cool little package. Now tell me, did you notice a, did you notice a big difference? Like, um, with that center mass, like I haven't, I haven't got to shoot mine yet. I haven't got to set it up. Uh, did you notice a big difference with it being in that center position? Um, not a big difference, but what I did notice is your sight housing, you, you have more picture of it instead of, you know, it being on the far side of your riser and your, and your housing. Seemed like I had more uh, a picture of my housing than all where I didn't before. But that bow, like the way it's built, the limbs are a little wider than what I'm used to. And so it's got a longer axle up there. And then the riser on that core SS is basically the same length as it is axle to axle. So just being stable, when you draw that bow back, it's, it's there. When you put it on something, it's just like it won't come off of it. That's like, awesome. It's, it's hard to torque the bow because the riser is nearby as long as the axle to axle. Then you, with the wider limbs and the wider axle, you know, it takes a lot more to torque, torque the bow, which makes it a lot more accurate. I mean, it's, I shoot that bow 
sighting it in better than I shot a bow that I have since 2016. So, I <laughs> mean, awesome. like, within three or four shots, I could already shoot that bow that much better. And then you didn't even you didn't even have to like go through a few misses with it or anything like that. You just went straight to business. Yep, pretty much. I mean, it took me maybe five minutes to sight that bow in. <laughs> That's awesome. So from the time you know, that, from the time you sight you you got the bow and got it ready, uh, when was your when was your next hunt? Um, uh, it was like, I think I got it set up during the week. And so it was that weekend. I took it to Florida with me and I did a, a hunt there, but I didn't see anything to shoot. Um, so I, I took it out probably four hunts or something, four or five hunts before, um, shot an animal with it. Heck yeah, dude. That's awesome. All right. Let's talk about this buck. Um, you know, you, you, Brett, you talked about it a little bit, quite a bit, I would say, about how you utilize cameras and how you use them and, and that you do have cameras up in areas that you've been watching for a long time. And, uh, and this buck was, uh, had been there for at least a couple years, right? Yeah, uh, not in that particular spot. Like, I actually haven't had. So, funny thing is, is, I did set a camera in that area, but I set it the day before. I I chose this. It was raining on that the day before, and I chose to. I needed to go check a bunch of SD cams, and I wanted to move some stuff. And I noticed the general public, nobody was out there because it was raining. So I was like, "It's a perfect time for me to do what I need to do instead of doing it on Monday when I could be hunting." So I did all that in the rain. So I, I walked in that area the day before and set that camera, but it like rained all day and all night, you know, before I went back in there. So I hadn't had a camera in there or any, you know, like knowledge, but I didn't know that book. I've seen them in the, the general area, you know, within the square mile in there. Um, and I've, Pretty sure it's the same book I've had two different years, and his frame's been pretty close to the same. And ended up when I cleaned that deer out, which I wish I could go get that bottom jaw back, but his teeth were like solid black, <laughs> like the whole tops of them and all were just black. Because when I that was the first thing I noticed when I was when I pulled his bottom jaw off. But what what's that? So what's that? so you went in this area. Sorry, go ahead. Go ahead, Walt. Well, I was going to ask. I was going to ask Matt, "What's that? What's that <clears throat> coating that's on the teeth on the top of their teeth called that that ridge that wears down?" I couldn't oh, tell you. Okay. Thought you'd know. No, hang on. I'll Google I'm it. Just, He's not I'm a, just a forester. Just a forester, Walt. <laughs> I'm surprised you don't know that. I to be honest with you, I almost googled it so I could say uh, it's the. Hang on. Took too long. Probably a big word. Well, I don't even remember what we were talking about, but I know we were about to get into the story of this book. Um, All right. So, Brett, same same thing that we did with Matt. I want you to, uh, without Mm. giving away too terribly much, just kind of describe what it is about this area that you like. (laughs) <laughs> said, I like that there's deer there. That's cool. Honestly, 
I found that area about three or four years ago, and I threw it on a back burner as an area. I found it postseason scouting, believe that or not, but I put it on the back burner. And I had a buddy that was hunting with me, and he was didn't know where to go, struggling a little bit. I said, hey, I got this area. I thought was really good. There's like five trails all converging together in this area. I found it postseason when I could really see them trails where they stood out. I was like, here's a tree. I marked this tree. Walk in right here and walk straight to that tree and hunt it. The wind should be good. Well, first day he hunts, he sees, you know, what he says is a really big buck. Ended up walking straight to the tree he was in. And when he looked over and seen it, it was like 15 yards and they were staring at each other. So he hunted in there a little bit after that deer. And that deer kept throwing him for a loop. But anyways... Uh, I found it postseason scouting, and he went in there and hunted and seen a bunch of deer in there. And I went in there last year uh, after the buck that he kept seeing that was throwing him for a loop, and I actually shot the deer. Uh, I started accessing a, a different way than what normal uh, access would be because what I found out after I shot him and we tracked the deer with uh, with dogs was that deer was bedded by the access, like 50 yards off the access, where he could hear anybody walking in and out. And the typical wind would blow their wind to him. And he would sit there, and I guess he could determine from there which way he wanted to go, you know, depending if anybody walked in or out, which I figured out afterwards, which I figured out that's why I was able to get on him and see him the way I was coming in. Um, But anyways, that's kind of how i knew the area was good but it's really monotonous it's it's basically a big cutover that they left um big pines in for seed trees so it's got just random growth pines growing up and sage and briars and it's just like a giant area like that so i mean everything looks basically the same and there are trails, you know, kind of wherever you walk. But this area in particular was the converging of trails. So I would consider that like a funnel because you, if you have five trails coming to one spot, that would be a funnel. That would be just like terrain funneling yeah. somewhere. You got five opportunities for deer to meet in this one particular spot. And there was a couple other things in there that, but anyway, I mean, that's, bas- that's basically what I was looking, or that's how I knew. Flatland? Whatever the question. Yeah, uh, it's flatland. I guess some people in, in Florida would call it hills as well. <laughs> um, it's not really, I wouldn't think enough to funnel deer. It could. There's some areas that, that it could. But yeah, pretty much flat. Okay. With little rolling hills. So thick stuff, I mean... You think about a clear cut, a cut over uh, the the kind of area that you're talking about. I know, uh, to be honest, like the the place the the place I hunted this morning, it's not a big huge area, but it's very similar. Just those, just that sage grass. It's not really a clear cut, but it's it's kind of yeah. got the same the same type of features. Um, so I know what you're talking about, and I do know that. It, it does seem like in those type of areas, it, calling 
is a lot more effective. Um, and maybe it's just because of what you're talking about or what Matt said earlier, they can't see. So they got to come, mm-hmm. right? Like they got to just, they got to yep. get there. Um, so tell me a little bit about that. Is that kind of, is that type of area where you, where you first kind of started learning some actual, rather than just going out and blowing on a grunt tube, you actually have kind of technique, uh, with the way that you grunt. Did that question yeah, make sense? Uh, no. <laughs> Sorry. I, I didn't really end it like a question. I ended it as a statement. Uh, so is that kind of like that type of area, hunting that type of place? Is that where you feel like you've developed this technique? Yeah. If you mean like by the area, I had a lot of side cover. So a deer feels comfortable with cover that's pretty close as tall as them maybe to their back and all uh they feel real comfortable in that and it is a lot harder for them to just like see like it is in open woods you know like matt was talking about earlier if a deer can stand at the edge of a a hill or maybe it's a pine thicket or something or look in those woods and see if a deer is there they're not coming you know so this type of area would be an area that you could call in and a deer couldn't necessarily see you. They may have to come 20, you know, 30 yards from where you're at to be able to see right where that grunting come from. I gotcha. All right. Let's talk about this story. I want to hear the story about this. And then we're going to basically do the same thing. Let's just break down like kind of the, the way that you called, the way that you did the whole thing. So I guess just start from the top, man. Man. Well, I ended up basically taking vacation for this week and the wife wanted me to kill some deer because I haven't been killing deer and the wife was kind of on me about killing something so I know that weekend leading into before that hunt I got out I think it was Saturday and hunted and I think I was texting y'all and told y'all I was like something's dying this week like it's happening like I done got ready to kill something the wife was messing with me about it. So, uh, anyways, I went and did all my camera moving on a, on a Sunday when it was raining. And I got all that done. So, Saturday, I went into one of my really good spots that I killed some good deer in and and climbed up in the areas that's really grown up and it's hard to see in there. And... I hunted in there, didn't see anything, which, you know, it didn't add it to normal because I've hunted there several times and not seen anything, but typically when you do, it's something good is happening. So I, th- I think I was talking in the camera. I know Matt seen that I was going to actually move, Get I was going to be really aggressive that week. And I was actually going to move into the bedding area somewhere. I've never hunted in there. And when I got down, I did just a little looking and I noticed a tree that I thought about getting in one time that the limbs were all just cut off of it. Like they cut eight inch limbs off this tree. Like you could tell they, it looked like it, somebody took a chainsaw in there to this tree. And it's just like, what in the world? Like this is illegal as I'll get out. But anyway, so after I seen that, I it's like, I don't know if I want to hunt here. And I really wanted to go hunt that other area that I ended up going to and 
I think I talked with some of y'all. Like the wind wasn't good to get in there. Uh, it would basically be blowing out one side of the area that deer typically come from. But I was going to be aggressive, and I had to. The only way to get in there without blowing it out, you know, knowing where that big buck was bedded previous and uh, where some a lot of the deer come from in there, I had to make a mile loop to get in there. Which, so, so this is back to going back to the deer that was that that was bedded overlooking the access, right? Is that what you're saying you're you're using that that and kind of making a loop around that access trail? Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. I'm c- coming in from a totally different, like, like walk-in area, like a totally different piece from a different block. I was in a totally different block and walked all the way through that block, all the way around and then back into the other block to get in there. Um, so I made the walk, get in there, and I, there, I know there's two trails that deer typically go and they kind of crisscross right there where I wanted to get. And I didn't want to walk on any of those trails. I kind of got in between them and I just slowly slipped in. It was kind of midday when I got in there and I just slipped in and I crossed those trails um, right to where I could shoot. So I figured if deer come, I could still shoot them when they got to my ground scent. I should be able to. And I was kind of decided between two trees. One tree was a little more safer option, but I may or may not be able to shoot the uh, big conversion or the funnel that I wanted to shoot. Um, so I decided to go to the more uh, aggressive tree that was right up in the midst of it, like within 20 yards of the area. But I knew my wind would be blowing out one section, but I felt like the deer typically come from that area in the mornings and they come into these sage and pines and there's like little thick clumps all through it that they get in and they'll bed. So I felt like they would be in there and they would come out, you know, going back and I should be able to catch them before they got downwind of me. Did you have any, did you have any like worry about getting that, getting right into the middle of it like that? Like... As far as just bumping, bumping deer out, like, were you nervous about it? Did you blow deer out? Like, was it too aggressive? Maybe did you ever have that moment in the tree where you're like, man, I just blew everything out of here. No, I felt good about getting in there because, you know, it is a lot of side cover, but for me, you know, it's only like maybe belly button to chest high in spots so i could see going in there and i just really took my time because i got in there early uh like i got in there around lunchtime kind of on purpose to get in there where i could slowly get in the only part i was nervous about was my wind blowing that one section if you know some of the big bucks like i've seen in the past and my other buddies seen in the past come from that direction they would definitely have smelled me and I probably wouldn't have known. Uh, typically, it seems like the more mature deer will hit your scent, and they'll just turn around and go back to where they come from. You won't even know they were there. I've seen them do that plenty of times, even with smaller, you know, bucks. They can hit your trail and just stop and just turn around and go. Yeah. You know, not, not necessarily like a doe that will sit there and just blow at you. Yeah, they won't. I mean, 
uh, today, like literally today, um, there was a buck, the buck that I shot, he like literally was coming down my scent trail. And if, if there wasn't does back behind me, that buck was going to be gone. And I would have never, like, he was such a ghost in the shadows right there. Like, I could, I, it was a miracle that I even saw him. Uh, so just to back up what you're saying, like, man, uh, it's one thing to know when a big buck spooks, you know, when you see him spook. There's no telling how many big bucks spook every single time we go into the woods. Yep. Absolutely. That's why this this but, access, like, like just, just to... To further prove, like, your access is so stinking important. Like, I've heard people say that for years, but when you actually see it in action, it, it's like, it will absolutely make or break a hunt. The tree that you sit in is important, but it is not nearly as important as how you got to it. Absolutely. Access and your wind is... Yep. The two biggest things as a bow hunter, I mean, you got to be pretty spot on you know to get them to get a mature deer that close that's right um so i get in a tree and it's pretty small tree uh if it wasn't for a saddle you're not getting in it uh so i'm like two sticks high then i take a good step up to my platform so i probably wasn't 10 or 12 foot off the ground maybe you know Using smaller pines where you're typically not finding your, you know, people who are using climbers. And, yeah. You know, a lot a lot of these areas I find really good spots in are typically that. Like, there's usually not typically a good place to get, like, a climber or just good straight tree. You know, it's areas where you would have to have a saddle to get in or hunt from the ground. That's right. But I get in the area and I'm... I'm set up, you know, access. I crossed a, two trails that's about 30 yards from me and hoping I would see the deer before they got there and be able to get a shot on before he hit my ground scent. And I guess it's right after sunset, I'm in a tree. Still haven't seen anything at this point. And probably four thirty ish or something like that. I, I see a doe come in from behind me and she's walking right to my access the way I'm walking in. So I'm kind of filming her and watching her, seeing what she's doing. And she's walking. She'd go out and she made like a circle one time like you would see a dog do and I'm like, what is she doing? And she walked out and she got right where I walked. And she turned and walked right down the trail I walked. And then she Crossed the other two trails, you know, like she didn't even smell me or either that or she didn't care one to two. And she ends up working kind of in front of me, gets in this little thick spot that I typically see. You know, it's kind of where that uh, funnel is where all the trails come together. It's like a little thick spot right there. She kind of goes in there and just disappears. So I sit in there and I'd say two or three minutes later, I look and here comes a buck coming down the same trail she was on. It was probably a two-and-a-half-year-old, uh, eight-point. And he comes right down the same trail she did. 
and comes out in front of me and he disappears in this little thick spot. Uh, I could have, you know, shot at him at about 30 yards and he wasn't a deer I wanted to take. And it wasn't a few minutes later, just doe comes back right in front of me. And she's like, you, which you can see in the video that we just dropped on, on YouTube, the, the Alabama deer I'm talking about. And she comes in and she's kind of like doing circles yes. and she's kind of acting funny, you know, almost like bucks were pushing her around. And, um, I kept thinking I heard something back over my shoulder and I would look, but this doe's like 12 yards from me. And I would like kind of side eye over to see if I could see another deer and I couldn't ever see anything. And eventually this deer just tore out straight away from me through this thick spot and just went out running and I could see out of the corner of my eye another deer moving and I seen he had a, a pretty good rack and he had a big old body I was like crap he's going to turn he's he's going to follow this doe because she just tore out away from me and he's about 40 45 yards from me I would say but you know there's a lot of stuff kind of between me and him I definitely can't shoot him where he's at and I'm thinking he's going to follow this doe. So my first instinct is to reach over and get my grunt call. So I to get my grunt call, maybe hit it and see if he'll come over here. So I took it out. And my grunt call has a inhale and an exhale part on it. The, ex, the inhale part is really soft and quiet, which is typical, pretty much the only part I use on it. And I picked that up and kind of turned it away from me and away from him and just gave it, I think it was two pretty soft grunts and I could see him. He walked up and I could see him just staring my way. He was just burning a hole, just looking. And eventually he turns and he just starts coming straight in, you know, taking his time. Then he comes and he just, I mean, he walked right into my lap and I get I get draw which you can see all this on the video, but I get draw back and that that botex is that chorus is just sweet. Like I put that I put the pin on that deer and it just like it just sit there. It would not come off of him. I'm just following him. And he was so close there was no need to stop him, didn't want to spook him. It was just just a perfect shot. I mean just and they, and I executed the shot perfectly and Shot the deer at like 15 yards with that bow. And um, I was actually shooting some new broadheads because I, I went to a 125 with that set up 125 grain broadhead. It was a Magnus Stinger buzz cut. And I shot the deer, got a full pass through. The deer ran about 25 yards and ended up crashing. You could see him like knocking trees down and stuff when it crashes. And then you can see another tail like running off, which I'm guessing is that doe that's running off as he's like crashing. But, you know, I just gave him a couple soft grunts and he turned and walked straight into me. I, and I felt like he would have followed that doe. It, or it just seemed like them two bucks were kind of following her around. I don't know if she was coming in early, you know, for that area or, or what she was doing. But it seemed like they were tending or like, bumping her around so yeah i was just figured that they were going to follow her out of there so that's why 
you know, I took the grunt call out, but I will emphasize I've grunted at a lot of deer as of lately. And I've never had a deer just run off. I've had deer that looked up and would look and just carry on their way. But I've also had a lot of deer turn and come straight to me. You know, like, I feel like it, it can't hurt. Like, if a deer is going to look up and not come to you, okay. And But if you have a, I would say I probably have a 40, 50% chance that deer is going to turn and come to you, why wouldn't you do it? Mm-hmm. You'd be crazy not to. I mean, if he's just going to look up and just carry on, just like no harm, no foul, you're learning something. And if he comes in, then can't beat that. So it seems like my success with calling grew whenever I started like adding something to the calling, right? Uh, like I would grunt and break branches, like just kind of rub on some trees and, you know, shake them. Um, I will say my grunts got softer as I've, as I've learned, they've gotten soft, but I wouldn't say that they're like, soft soft usually i'm making pretty big noises and there's not any deer in eyesight usually when i'm doing that right so it's not going to sound as loud to them as it is sounding right there like i'm trying to make noise i want to be able to hear it and i do feel like that's worked um do you do much of that like blind calling and if you do brett is it like is it different than what you do whenever you see one yeah um, i do do a decent amount of blind calling, but it's no different. I basically do a blind calling like if the deer was standing at 50 yards. Yeah. You know, like I want, I want to be soft enough at 50 yards that deer believes I'm realistic. Yeah. You know, whether I know a deer's at 50 yards or not. So blind calling or if I see a deer, I'm grunting the same way at him. I will say the difference. It always seems like whenever I do it, um, it doesn't mean like I've, I've I've killed a lot of deer doing it just like that, but they're almost always trying to get downwind. Like they're never just like beelining towards me, with the exception of uh, the Kentucky buck that I killed a few years ago. I got him. He it was kind of the similar situation that you're talking about, Brett. He was just a little bit out of range, and I couldn't have shot him where he was at. It was too thick, and so I just did a with my mouth. This was the one where I didn't even have my bow pulled up yet. Like it was a complete cluster. And with my mouth, I went, brat, brat. and it was really quiet. The deer turned and came straight towards me. He wasn't trying to get downwind. He wasn't nothing like that. Uh, he was coming straight towards me. So I wonder if maybe the, uh, the curiosity, maybe that's more of the curiosity and less of an aggressive, move that the that the buck you're calling at is is making i don't know i don't know what it is like it seems like right. you know what i'm saying does that make sense it's very yeah it's very possible uh that deer i shot that we we're just talking about he was trying to get downwind of me but <laughs> the way my wind set up is my wind was kind of just blowing this way and yeah he probably wasn't 10, 15 yards from getting downwind of me when I shot him. But, you know, it just happened the way I was set up and yeah. the wind. It's perfect. It brought him right into my lap. Yep. That's super cool, man. That's It's been a it's been a really good couple of weeks for all of us. I, I feel like it's kind of rare that the, the day goes by that somebody isn't killing something or at least close to it. Uh, and so it's it's 
it's fun to talk more than just, hey, Brad yeah. killed Buck. Awesome. That's cool. That's about what you can do in a Facebook post or an Instagram post. Like, awesome. Matt killed a big buck. But when you can really break it down, like, I learned so much. Even going back and looking at past hunts that maybe I didn't know why I killed a deer. But when I first started listening to podcasts, I was hearing all these things and hearing, listening to people tell stories and then actually hearing the tactics that were being used. And I was able to learn even from past hunts, like, oh, that's why I killed that deer. That's why that happened. And so I think as people listen to this, uh, you know, I, I, I think a lot of people are hesitant with calling with for, for deer. I think people are, are hesitant with uh, making any, I guess, I guess for, for a lot of people, it's probably why make a noise when you don't have to, why make your presence known if you don't have mm-hmm. to. Um, and I understand that, but also kind of like what you said, Brett, when you see so much success from it, like I probably am, am going to keep doing it. You know what I mean? But I think every deer that we kill, we can look at something like this. And it just so happened that you guys, it kind of lines up together, telling both of these stories that we can talk about calling. But before we before we end all that, before we end the conversation, I'm curious to know your guys' take on rattling. We've talked a lot about grunting. Uh, any, any Anybody want to raise their hand and talk Walt, about their rattling? Walt, if they do it or not? I st- I had something on grunting still. Okay. <laughs> like we'll talk about grunting, then we'll go into rattling. Matt, you got something about <laughs> rattling? Sorry. Go ahead, Brett. But it, you know how most people talk about when, when you're calling, you can set up like maybe against water or something where a deer can't get behind. Yeah. It. Well, one thing that I've seen that really works, uh, it's kind of the same tactic, but not at the same time like. If you can get on the edge or just inside of a thicket and use open woods behind you like water, I find that if you grunt at deer, they're not going to circle through the open woods behind you downwind. You know, yeah. they're going to be more more likely to stay in the thicket and just come straight at you. And, you know, maybe they hang up at 20 or 30 yards, but typically you get a shot on them. That's true. Uh, versus, versus coming out in the opening. You know, it, it can happen, but. I find it doesn't happen very often. Those are the only other times I get deer that will come straight in without circling downwind. Yeah, and and that that does make sense even for even for rattling too. I mean, when you're talking about calling of any kind, I think uh, having a setup that's like you're saying bulletproof is bulletproof for for what a deer a buck's natural reaction to come in and get downwind using water wo- open hardwoods bluffs you know anything like that can really uh be to your benefit um so rattling i learned a new technique god dang it yeah let's hear it so i had the privilege to <laughs> what's well, not excited about a, your I, technique matt <laughs> just in case you didn't know i had the privilege to hunt with walt uh two weeks ago on our hunt filmed him and uh <laughs> we we got up in the Wonder. tree and he was very adamant about calling. Um, so I was like, Hey man, just whatever you want to do, I'm just going to film it. You know, I'm just a kid. Ca- I'm just so a camera guy. He pulls out these orange or yellow rattling horns 
And I said, why are they, why are they, I said, why are they yellow? They are yellow. Well, I put polyurethane on them to uh, give them some moisture. I was like, okay, well, check, (laughs) got to do that to my rattling horns. Um, And then he had a rope. He had like a 30 foot rope. Like it just kept coming out of his pouch. And so he lowers it down. I thought he was just going to do the old, like, just right under the tree kind of rattling. No, this man started <laughs> swinging these things back and forth. Like, he'd go back 50 feet, go back forward 50 feet. And then he just slung them into the bottom that we were hunting. <laughs> and so I was like, hey, this, <laughs> this is what I've been waiting for. Like, somebody teach me how to rattle. Like, this is the trick. So he starts, like, to. It's the way they he do it. He starts tugging on that little rope, you know, like a jerk string duck hunting, and so they're the hitting and whatnot. Well, he comes up to this laydown, like a, a dead tree. There were no limbs on it. Well, he goes to like pop it up over the laydown. Well, those antlers popped up and wrapped around a greenbrier branch. <laughs> and if you've ever tried to like break a green, like a green greenbrier, it's not breaking. So that joker's just a tugging on that. And those antlers are hitting together and stuck on that green briar. And it, I mean, I was laughing so hard. I had to turn the camera off because I, I was just this, it, it was rough, but he ended up getting them back. And, uh, we ended up, Walt ended up seeing a lot of bucks running through the cutover after that and, uh, learned a lot from that. So I've, I've ordered me a 40 foot rope. And some yellow antlers. <laughs> so, I feel I feel compelled to defend my honor here for a second. Uh, he watched a Bomar video well, one time. He, he only had two antlers. If you were doing the Bomar technique, you needed like five. I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm part of a uh, corroborator uh, group that that teaches you how to rattle. Um, so if you want in on that, let me know. Um, but so my th- my thinking, I've done this a couple of times and I've, and I've had some good success with it with smaller deer, not like a big deer, obviously, because I don't shoot those kind of things. But what I do is I launch it. I launch it out there a little ways and then I drag it back, kind of just tugging on it. And so it sounds you're getting the leaf matter, you're getting the branches and the stuff starts moving down there. And so you were talking about adding things to your calling sequence. That's what I'm trying to do because what I don't want to do is be like 20 feet up in a tree rattling and there'd be nothing to be seen. But if you're on the edge of a thicket and you hear this thing tumbling down, because if you've ever heard deer fight, like it's not quiet. Like it's even when they like tank antlers, like up in West Virginia, like there's, there's eight feet moving around. There's antlers coming against each other and they hit stuff. And so, um, the biggest deer I've ever actually ever seen in the South, um, well, until recently, was up in South Carolina. I did the exact same thing. And he came barreling out of the swamp, but busting through the palmettos. Um, it was actually something I saw Larry Wyshen do one time when he was like in Michigan or something like that, uh, Parker. So uh, that was the... Did he do the polyurethane? Well, so the, the, so the polyurethane, my dad, my dad and I were squirrel hunting when I was like 13. And we found... Like this, I now think it was a bedding area. I had no idea what it was. My dad had no clue, but we found this area that was loaded with sheds. Like everywhere you looked, there were just like sheds. And we found like seven sheds that day. And it was kind of in this big thicket. And the only reason we found it is because I shot a squirrel and it fell in there. These, these antlers, some of them were really new. Some of them were really, really old. And the ones that I took today had started to get kind of chalky on the exterior. My dad's like, well, we got a can of, pan, a, a can of polyurethane. Let's just dip it in that. 
them jokers look like there's something out of the 1920s that was like done bad taxidermy videos like that's what it looks like it's really rough man do we have video of this? Can yes, we make we this have, real? Oh, it's, I, yes. I already, I already put a marker Something. on it, and and I'm gonna pull it out of here. Mark, Matt's gonna be telling that story, and we're gonna overlay his shaky footage <laughs> as he's just laughing hysterically as the antlers get so stuck. When I was in Missouri this year, um, I was hunting this spot, and I was pretty deep. Like I, I felt like I was far away from all the access. Like it was kind of like a little nook of public. I get set up that morning and I'd seen some like cat eyed or those night eye things mm-hmm. or whatever kind of off in the distance when I set up, but I was right next to the private. So I thought like fence line or something. I get set up, sun starts coming up and all of a sudden I make out antlers, like, like rattling antlers I hung up in a briar, like literally like probably six feet above the ground. Really? The sun comes up even more, and I see there's a tree stand, but the tree stand is, like, 40 yards back behind me. These antlers are, like, just hanging, and there's a rope and, like, a string tied to it, you know? And it's a pretty big set of antlers, of rattling antlers, and they're just, like, dangling <laughs> on a briar, just like that, above the woods floor. I took them. I, was about I say, got them. They pro- they're mine they now. They probably they're my got stuck from the guy's rope he was swinging. <laughs> I mean, you know... That's why I brought it up. That's why. That's why it applies. Now, I'm like, maybe this guy learned in, something. That in all seriousness, no, I I believe it did sound very realistic. Um, I think it is a good good thing to use. Um, but it was just funny. You know, everything was working great until that uh that Greenbrier <laughs> caught a hold of that that rope. So that was. And I was really hoping a big old deer was going to step out on the side of that cut over and we could shoot it. Because it would have just been like the most validating thing ever. Here we got Matt. He didn't like the tree is shaking because we're both laughing so hard. I mean, because I'm more of a, like, I'm, I'm like, how the hell am I going to get this? Because this is my bow rope. This is my gun rope. Like, what, the, what am I going to do to get my gun down, you know? And uh, he's just shaking. He quits recording at one point because it was just so embarrassing. He puts the camera away, starts eating a snack, and I'm still yanking on this, this freaking thing. And by the time I pull it off, he goes, did, did you just get that? Like he had just completely written it off. He was like, "There's no chance. There's no chance he's going to get that that unstuck." So, didn't happen that way though. Well, I think I called that deer in for Brett's. What actually happened? I think that deer that, heard yeah, you definitely heard did. the calling sequence. He ran him to <laughs> yeah, he ran away from the calling sequence and straight into Brett's it's lap. That's a what big happened. old deer. It was a big old deer. I was imitating. <laughs> Oh, fellas. Well, we didn't even really dive into rattling. I would say pretty similar to rattling for me as, as grunting. You know, I think, um, I think, uh, making the noise, I think the noise added to blind calling is super valuable. And I also think what Brett's talking about with, with like not blind calling, like seeing them and trying to call them that soft, little more realistic, a little more like I can't make a, uh, you can't make big, huge movements in that moment. Right. So it's not even possible. Um, I think it's important for guys to, to, to kind of know the differences and, and go out and try it. You know, I mean, the worst that can happen is they run away from you and somebody else shoots them. That's not that bad. <laughs> I like that. tactic. <laughs> 
I like it a lot. <laughs> it's not that bad when that happens. <laughs> so at least you tried, right? All right. See y'all next time. Just kidding. <laughs> but I, I do, I do enjoy, I enjoy talking about these in-depth topics within these kill stories. I think it's, uh, it's super important and, uh, and people learn from them, man. They really do. And congrats on, on both of you guys bucks. That's a heck of a good, we're I mean, seriously, it's been a heck of a good season. Um, Alabama in particular is just producing more bucks. It's a good year than it ever has. I think. What'd you say? It's a good year for y'all, man. This is yeah. If you're if you're in it's Florida, South Alabama. Carolina, Tennessee, Kentucky, and you've been thinking about buying a Bama tag, now's the year to do it for sure. It's a good year. It is a great year, and it, you know, I mean, he's just trying to get us. <laughs> Was that supposed to be? Matt, a joke? Ain't Matt, nobody coming here, Matt, bro. Ain't nobody coming. Matt here. didn't respond. Parker didn't respond. <laughs> Brett's gut fell out just then. He was the only person that bid on that. You could see just like the dread of what I just said. So, yeah, nobody's going to no, come No, people there. ain't coming here. No, they're all going to yeah, my spot this week. You know who you are. You're listening What's to this you? podcast. You know exactly who you are, and you know you're going to my spots. Split shot's dead to me. That's all I got to say. We'll talk more about it offline. <laughs> <laughs> well, what happens when, uh, when you kill a lot of deer is... Your knives get dull. Fellas, I got to tell you something. Um, this is going to be the worst join or die ad that we've probably ever done because I'm going to talk about how uh, it's hard. I need to learn how to sharpen a knife. That's what we're going to say. Just send it to Walt. I, he does all mine. Well, you know, I saw Walt sharpening knives and like really professionally. Like I need to learn. I need, I need to learn how to do this because – I packed out that whole deer and it, like I hadn't sharpened it since I got it. Right. So like, Holy crap. It was, Send me your knife. it was tough, <laughs> but you know what it did do? It took some great pictures. <laughs> you don't have to send that back. Join or die to get back. Jesus. So. No, man, it's not, it's not a join or die problem. That's a me problem. It's a, uh, it has, it has successfully gutted and skinned. Uh, it's packed out three deer. Um, gutted and skinned five and i can't complain man if if on the if on the fifth deer no the sixth deer uh if on the sixth deer is when it gets dull that's a that's a problem i can live with for dang sure well i can tell you right now my knife doesn't get dull it's too easy to sharpen the cool thing about quality steel is if you keep up with it and you don't lose that bevel. Like the biggest thing was like Brett and Matthew had clearly used those theirs to like carve bone artifacts from the deer they shot. They they were not careful with the blade in the slightest. I had to re-put that bevel. Why would you guys do I that? Mean, come on. Uh but Are we put yeah. it to the test. <laughs> they were out there bushcrafting. <laughs> yeah, they were making deer stands uh, uh up in the tree. But uh I, it took me a while to get the bevel back on that thing because they had abused it so badly. But that thing stayed sharp after that because we cleaned your deer, Brett's deer, and my deer. And the two times we went back to the camp, and we cleaned that joker up. It was just a couple, a couple, you know, strokes, and that joker was razor freaking sharp. Yeah. Um, so, and the cool thing I think about those knives is because they take so little to sharpen, the blade's going to last longer. These are expensive knives. Everybody acknowledges this, but these are custom made knives by a dude who lives and breathes knife 
knife making, I guess. Is that the right term for that? I'm sure there's like a more professional uh, term. Yeah. Forging. Forging, right? Would it be forging? Forging knives. The way that we do hunting and this podcast, right? The passion that you see going into this. That guy, he just lives and breathes forging knives. Um, and this is going to be something you're going to be able to pass on to your kids, man. I mean, you're not going to want to give it to them, but... It's something you could you could easily pass down, and if you use the promo code Soko Hunt, all caps, you get ten percent off. Shoot, yeah, man, definitely worth it. Um, like you guys have said, like we said multiple times, man, these are. There is a uh, thank you for that link, Walt, to that knife. You're partner. welcome, buddy. I'm definitely going to buy one, one on because. Do you? Do you? <laughs> so, I I've been using the snack. Right, it's a freaking cool knife. I put it in my kill kit. I love how slim. I like the slim design of it. I literally put it like in a little side pocket in my kill kit, and it lays flat. Like it's just super flat. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also really like the the Rimfire Fieldmate for the same reason. I love that it's small. Um, I love that. Uh, I, I do believe that it's uh, when it comes to actually packing a deer i love the grip on that field mate like yeah like when you're going to do all the work right there at one time yeah. i love being able to have that grip there i like the i like the snack design for like those quick you're field dressing it mm-hmm. you know you don't need you don't need to grip it for a whole long time and uh dude i'm i'm pumped about it maybe at some point I'm, I'm going to buy this sharpener bef- then before the next time I go into the woods. For sure. Before, <laughs> before I go into the woods again, I'm going to get a sharper blade and uh, hopefully we can get, get a few more deer cut up yeah. with it I wanna get that, before the season's over. I want to get that snack because I'm going to put it in my kill kit with the field mate because I don't want to yeah. stop and, and hone my blade while my hands are dirty, right? But I think I'm going to use the snack to skin the deer out. And then I'll grab the rimfire whenever I'm doing the deboning. And I kind of want something, like you said, that you can kind of grab and actually like work down into a joint. Yep. And I think those two things combined along with my, um, most people call it a bone saw. I call it an antler saw. Uh, put that in my, my kill kit and we're off to the races. Antler saw. Gosh. Uh, moment of silence for Walt's poor decisions in the woods. <laughs> Whatever. You could have polyurethane that skull. I'm going to polyurethane those antlers is what I'm going to do. Then awesome. <laughs> He's going to add them to it. <laughs> Salt shaker. <laughs> no. Parker. It's not Parker. what I mean. You're talking about like a, like a, a, a rattle bag. <laughs> you need, you're going to make no, a rattle no, no, bag I'm, of all Walt's bucks. No, 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 no. <laughs> I meant to add them to his other two horns that yeah. he's throwing out on his rope. His little, sh- his little shaker rope. He can put four antlers on We need. Oh, he man. had the small ones in the middle and don't give it that. that <laughs> you said salt shaker. My first mind oh. is like a, is like a glass, you know, like a dit at, um, Waffle House, you have those little glass with the metal cap salt shakers. Yeah, yeah. You need that with a bunch of little tiny hacked off antlers as a shirt and it, and it just, just shake it. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> shake it like a salt shaker. Throw in a little salt on, on, the, <laughs> on the situation. Do a little. <laughs> oh, fellas. Well, man, the fire has been good tonight. I'm going to sleep in tomorrow. That's what I'm going to do. Why? Because my butt ain't got any more Alabama you got tags, and I'm, I do, and it's doe days this weekend. You remember the last time you went doe hunting, Parker? Mm. You remember what happened last time you did that? 
Mm. Yeah, mm-hmm. I do remember that. It's going to be rough because there's okay. a lot of bucks out right now. <laughs> mm. Oh, man. I'm going to have to take Pablo with me. I owe Pablo. I owe You're him gonna carry I'm going to have to take him to sit with me. Get him a wheelchair and roll yeah. it. Go and pack him in. I want him to kill that stupid six point that I missed this morning. That's what I want him to do. I want to take him into that spot. I don't. It don't sit well with me. Like I'm thankful that I missed the deer, but I want somebody to kill his butt. That ain't. It wasn't cool. It wasn't right. What happened? <laughs> he should have been dead. <laughs> I'm glad it happened the way that it did. The buck I killed was bigger, but I don't like missing very much. Uh, well, I'm gonna sign off, boys. Thank you guys for joining. Thank you guys for listening to the Southern Collective Hunting Podcast. Um, make sure you check out the video that Brett uh, was talking about. On It's up right now, Matt. I think yours is going to be up fairly soon anyways. And uh, we got a lot of new things coming down the pipe. Boys, I am pumped about our Patreon hunt. It is going to be fun. And most of the people listening to this are not invited because they're not our patrons. Sign-up's closed. Doesn't even matter if you're part patron. It's done. I know. Stick a fork I in. know. But next year, next year, mm-hmm. join the Patreon. Get in on this Black Friday special that we're going to do. You're going to find out probably pretty quickly that you are getting more than your money's worth. And, uh, yeah, I'm excited about it. Won't be long. There should be another uh, Patreon. Huh? I know turkey season's getting close. My mind is yes, just sir. wandering right now. It's it's drifting. It's like pretty much as soon as I pulled the trigger this morning, I was like, hmm, I'd sure love to see a turkey right now. <laughs> you guys got anything else before we, before we sign off? Nope. We're good. Nope. Awesome. See you guys next time.